0: And I want to begin today with the title of the message, which is "Even Now, Return to Me." Even now, return to me. And rather than read all of this chapter in one setting and then circle back, as this uh, often our practice, I want to work through it with you from the beginning to the end in in large sections of of individual verses but to begin this morning I want to to say this that many many don't really know what to do with a passage like Joel chapter 2 they don't know what to do with it it this passage in Joel and others of the minor prophets particularly but certainly in much of the Old Testament Passages like this, chapters like this, they, they, they sound foreign in many people's ears. We don't know what to do with them. We don't, we don't like to think about God in the light in which he is portrayed in this chapter. We don't. We don't like to, to look at him through the lens that Joel gives us to look at God. We, we like to think of him in all kinds of other ways. We don't like to look at him the way Joel portrays him. A vengeful God. A jealous God. A God who has expectations of his creatures. A God who calls us to repentance. A God who will one day usher in a day of judgment that will be passed upon all the world. We seemingly, and and perhaps this is my misreading of of the greater landscape of Christianity that's entirely possible but it seems to me that we come across a chapter like Joel chapter 2 and we don't really know what to do with it <clears throat> we don't like to consider it because it it portrays God in a light in which it makes us uncomfortable it makes men and women uncomfortable to think about God in the way that he is portrayed here we we far prefer i think to to think of God in a different way. We, we prefer the kinder and the gentler God that is only concerned with making sure that our lives become all that they or we want them to be. That, that seems to be the large balance of what people look to God in the lens that they look to him with, the God who is only love. And in the ears of many To say that there is There are things that God hates It's just something that Doesn't settle well It doesn't seem to fit The, the popular perhaps Or the The uh, the larger Opinions held by many About who God is And so we come to this type of a chapter And we don't really know what to do with it Now before I continue we shouldn't ever make God one dimensional It's one of the dangers of, of Preaching or teaching or reading scripture and studying it. is It's easy to, to make God one dimensional Make him all love With no hate or retribution Or judgment or wrath Or make him all of those things And, and not love and mercy Merciful and kind and benevolent because God is all of these things and he's all of them at once. But when we come to a chapter like this second chapter of Joel, sometimes we we just have a hard time putting it in the context of Christianity as it is defined in many places in the United States and in 2022. I have a picture hanging on my wall in my office at home that Sarah bought me for Christmas, I think maybe... Two years ago not very long ago or this last one I Think more than that. It's it's been the last one or two Christmases As you look at that picture from a distance, it looks like a fingerprint And maybe you've seen this in other places, but it looks like a fingerprint But as you come up close to that picture and you begin to look at it you realize that it's scripture And there's one verse from every book of the bible That make up that picture that looks like a fingerprint that's a, that's a treasured picture of mine. And I, it, I still look at it. I look at it most days. It's a visible representation of what I hope my life becomes. And I've got a long way to go. A life upon which there is something of the fingerprint of God and his word. And, and I was looking at that picture this week. And my eyes lit upon Joel 2.12. Which is the the verse that this picture uses from the book of Joel and we want to read that here in a moment But the verse grabbed my attention And i've not been able to let it go And I feel like today this is where the lord would have us to To take our thought and as I looked at Joel two twelve, and then I wondered at the moment what the what's the context around that passage? What does it what is it trying to say? What did it just say and, and what is said afterward? And I would like us to look at that together today. And I want you to consider the thought that it all funnels into the title of Even Now, Return to the Lord. Wherever you are in your life, whatever the situation that you're in, whatever the challenges that are being presented to you, if you're lost, whatever the fear that you might have, whatever the peer pressure there might be, whatever the confusion of mind that you might be facing and wrestling with and contending with, whatever, whatever the, the river of this culture as it sweeps you down in your life as you think maybe that you're being independent and making up your own mind. And, and in reality, what is so often the case is you're just being swept along with everyone else and everything else. And you're on that broad way rather than the narrow one. I want you to, to think for just a little bit, and I want these words even now returned to the Lord. I, I hope that they strike you as they've struck me, but even if you are saved today, whatever you're confronting, it's not possible for you and in, in our belief, and I believe defendable, certainly by Scripture, it's not possible for us to lose what God has given us. It's not possible for For that, for something to die that God has made alive, and when he saved you, he made you alive. He made you a living creature. He gave you eternal life, and that's either eternal or it isn't. It's either unending or it isn't. And so you can't lose that that God has given to you, but you can turn from the Lord. David certainly teaches us that, and others in Scripture. Peter, many teach us this. So whatever that you're facing today, I I want to encourage you with this singular thought, Through all of these scriptures, even now, return to me. Even now. And I thought as I looked at that passage, why did he say even now? And I think that's what we want to begin with. And so if you'll turn with me, let's read the first 11 verses, and then we'll make our way through the rest, if it's the Lord's will to do so. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people, like there has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run, as with the rumbling of chariots they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble. Like a powerful army drawn up for battle before them peoples are in anguish all faces grow pale like warriors they charge like soldiers they scale the wall they march each on his way they do not swerve from their paths they do not jostle one another each marches in his path they burst through the weapons and are not halted They leap upon the city, they run upon the walls, they climb up into the houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? This is what is said immediately prior to that even now return to the Lord. Even now return to the Lord. And it began in this passage to blow a trumpet in Zion. And trumpets, as you know, were used frequently by watchmen charged with alerting a city to impending danger was often the instrument used because it would it would pierce through the, the, the noise of the city and the sounds that were all around, that sound of the trumpet, the, that clarion call that people would hear. And these watchmen upon the walls would, would have the, in their hands these trumpets and, and Joel gives us this picture of these watchmen, of this one or many, and he calls to them to sound the trumpet. To sound the warning. To sound the warning that there was danger that was coming. And the warning sound of the trumpet was never something that anyone wanted to hear. No one wanted to hear this sound. No one wants to hear this, this warning call. Nobody ever wanted to hear it, and yet it was a sound that at that time was needed to be heard. If they were to escape the danger that was coming, that the watchman saw. They saw the army, and, and it talked about how that this army, it was like they just blacked out everything on the earth. So many were they. So powerful were they. So numerous were they. They just blacked out everything else in the land. And the watchman saw it, and, and he cries out here to sound the alarm. Nobody wanted to hear it, but they needed to. The trumpet call that announced an enemy approaching instantly changed everything in their life. In the moment, it changed everything. When this trumpet sound came, everything else in life disappeared on the scale of importance. Plans for that day were immediately discarded and forgotten. What they were going about and doing all of a sudden no longer mattered. Problems that a man was facing as he was going about his day and maybe even dreading the day because of problems that he was trying to solve that were, were a concern of his and maybe it was the most important concern of his life at the moment. But when that trumpet sounded, when that trumpet call was made, that important thing that he was dealing with in that moment, it just suddenly no longer mattered. It was a minor concern, if a concern at all. There was a greater danger, and more imminent, more immediate, that needed to be dealt with. Now the problems that I had no longer seemed to be a problem. And, and when the call that of God comes to us and certainly in the moment when we are lost and He convicts us of sin, that becomes, it ought to become the most important thing in our life. It is the trumpet call of warning to the greatest danger that you face. And all of the other problems of your life, they just don't even measure on the scale. They don't move the Richter scale at all. When a Earthquake that would register a 10.0 is coming soon. The plans for that day immediately discarded and forgotten. When this warning sound comes, everything is left. The sound of the trumpet meant there was imminent danger to the city and everyone in it and everything changed in that moment. And when God speaks to you and to me and he calls to us to come to him, whether you're lost or saved, and maybe you are saved, and yet there's a distance between you and him, and yet you hear him, and and he calls to you, and there's something of a trumpet sound of warning in your life. And and at that moment, I pray that you drop everything else and listen to the call of God. And certainly, if you're lost and you don't know him, he's dealing with you even right now. Even in this moment, that that sound of the trumpet would be so loud in your ears that it would drown out all the other distractions of this life and all of the other dangers maybe that you think you face and all the other priorities that you have and all the other dreams and hopes that you have for the day that it would be drowned out by the sound of the clear call of the trumpet that God's day of judgment is coming. And I know this is why I said at the beginning, this is a passage that we don't often know what to do with anymore. It's not comfortable to hear. But this is the foundation, it's the bedrock in many ways of of all that the Christian is to believe and understand about the world. And when the call comes out, and certainly when the call comes to us first, you are not right, you are lost in your sin. Even now, he says, return to me. But he says even now in the midst and in the context of this call of warning, And you'll never you'll never come to him until this call comes to you. But this sound of the trumpet meant again there was imminent danger to you and to everyone around you. To everyone. It cried out to all this in the city that it was time to seek shelter to gather loved ones, to go make sure they were with you, to drop what they were doing and prepare to face the danger that was heading their way that was the only explanation for the sound of the trumpet. There's danger, and we must be ready to face it. Many such warnings meant that the city's destruction was near at hand by some foreign invader, and that, of course, is the scene Here, it meant that while the sun rose on their freedom, was they rose from their beds this morning as that day dawned and their plans and their work and their families as the day dawned on all of those things, it would set on their captivity, perhaps even their death, their brokenness, their separation from one another as the enemy comes and and lays ruin to everything in their life. And I want to tell you this, the enemy of your soul wants to lay ruin to you and to everything that you touch. He doesn't want you to hear the sound of the warning call. He doesn't want you to hear it. He doesn't want you to know he's coming. One of the most advantageous things any army can have is the element of surprise. the, The enemy's not ready. They're sleeping. They're not prepared. They're not listening for the sound. So, this enemy of your soul finds you unprepared and unheeding of the call. I pray that's not the case today. This enemy, as it it encroached, as it approached upon them, it changed everything else in their life, and that's another thing we don't like to have happen to us. We want to live our lives under what we feel is our own steam, our own power, our own strength. We want to make our own decisions, we think, uh, apart from any uh, um, uh, direction or reality of God. When that warning call came, it meant that none of their tomorrows would resemble their yesterdays ever again. The moment that God convicts you of sin, from that moment forward, none of your todays and tomorrows will ever look like yesterday did before you were lost and convicted and condemned and separated from God. None of them will look the same. It can't ever again. The enemy, the warning call has come. The truth has penetrated enough of your heart and your mind to know the truth that you need to be prepared to meet. This day that is coming, the day of the Lord, as it's called here, thinking about these things, we can understand why no one wants to hear this sound. we don't want to hear it, not our our carnal minds and our hearts, they want to distance themselves from this reality, so desperate can men be, and women so desperate, even might a man become. To never hear the sound of the trumpet. They might deny it when they do hear it. They might push it away even though they know they've heard it. They might think to themselves something like, surely this must be a false alarm. Surely the watchmen are mistaken. Surely this cannot be happening to me today of all days. These thoughts come to us when the sound of God's warning call upon our life, when it comes to us and the Spirit of God cries out to us, we can be so uh, uh, desirous to not hear it that we deny it when it does indeed come. But it has come nonetheless, whether we deny or not. So fearful of what the trumpet sound announced, some would simply ignore it and pretend that they were not hearing what they were, in fact, hearing. But even now, even now, return to me, God will say. It was a dangerous thing then, in these days that we read about. It was a dangerous thing, an unthinkable thing in many ways, to ignore the sound of the trumpet. As unsettling and as changing as that reality was, once that sound came, there's an enemy. They are marching upon the city. It was no point, and it was, put, it was no reason to deny it. And yet, spiritually, when the sound of God's voice penetrates our hearts, so much of the time we understand the warning call, and, and we are called to repentance, and yet we, we so want to distance ourselves from it that we allow ourselves to be fooled into thinking we never heard it when we did. And there's plenty of other noises in life to try to distract us from the trumpet call and the warning that God gives. But the trumpet call, you see, that warning sound was given in the hopes that people would would prepare while they had time. It wasn't over yet. It wasn't wasn't without hope yet. When that call goes forth, there is hope still. There is opportunity to prepare for the enemy that is coming, for the day that is coming. There's time. That's why the sound of the trumpet is sent out. The trumpet call, it was not made because the watchman on the wall on the wall wanted to scare people. It wasn't their intention. Merely, it wasn't to frighten them only. It was made because the watchmen were obligated to warn people there's a day that is coming there's an enemy on the borders and they are coming and as we read in these first 12 or 11 verses they're going to scale the walls they're going to run through the city they're going to they're going to make havoc of everything they're going to take lives they're going to destroy life and prosperity and our homes and our land and our crops and our all of that we have built up and tried to 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 make they're going to they're going to destroy it and The watchman on the wall is not blowing the trumpet to scare you merely, though it does bring fear. But that's not the motivation of the watchman. The motivation of the watchman is there's hope. There's time. Yes, there is an enemy coming, but there's something you can do to prepare. The watchman didn't bring the danger. Wasn't their fault that it was coming, but they alerted people to the presence of the danger that was already there that otherwise they would not have known about. There are, of course, many things to say about this as it relates to you and me today. Many things that we could say. You might, though, wonder as we turn to this minor prophet. And by the way, they're called minor prophets because of the length of the book, not because of some less importance to the major prophets. Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, they're minor because of their relative short length. We turn to this minor prophet, this book in Joel, and you might wonder why any of us should care what happened to a city and a people who lived so long ago. What does that have to do with me? You might wonder what any of this has to do with you. The answer is that it has a great deal to do with you and with me. God himself inspired these words. He preserved them through time when when Satan and all the power of hell combined, no doubt, have thrown every piece of energy they have at its removal, it is still here today. It is as inspired, and it is as inerrant, and it is with us today yet through the providential hand of God. God wrote this book, and he wrote these histories, and he wrote them for us to read, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, we're given partly why God has done that. He said, Paul does to the Corinthians, these things, and he's talking about the Old Testament. These things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So there's more here than just what lies on the surface. There's not less, but there's more. And as you think about what does this have to do with me, what does it have to do with us? What does it have to do with our lives in two thousand twenty-two? You see you see, one of the things that prevents us from thinking rightly about our lives is that we do not rightly think or understand the world in which we're living. We don't. We don't see it rightly. Not large percentage of the time. Many many in certainly in the open, unbelieving world, they'd no longer acknowledge at all, in any sense, where the world came from and have no notion of where it's going. By refusing to acknowledge where this world came from, men refuse to acknowledge where they came from. And we remove ourselves from the truth Of what it is that we're facing We think we're living in a world that is Or at least can be Secure and safe and enduring And lasting And solid But the reality is That we are living in a world that is The very opposite of those things We're living in a world That is a great distance from any of those things That we might wish it otherwise to be Every day Every day People are facing eternal danger and threat. Every day. And so are you. Every day, someone, somewhere, in fact, every day, many someones in many places is separated from a loved one by death. We've even heard this morning of another. Every day, According to Scripture, this world... And listen, the reason we don't look at the world correctly is because don't we don't look at it through the lens of Scripture written by the Creator of this world to write our minds and our thoughts about this life, our lives, our temporary time, this little span of time in our lives as we have this in our life on this planet. We don't think of it rightly. But according to Scripture... This world is on a collision course with God's judgment where it will be destroyed along with everything in it. That's the trumpet warning call that people don't want to hear. We want to push it away. They want this world to be thought of as strong and secure. I've got enough money in my bank account. I've got a roof over my head. I've got enough uh, uh, sufficient job to take care of me for the near term. And then I'm going to save up enough money somehow that it's going to carry me through the last 15, 20 years of my life and all is going to be well. That's not how you should be looking at the world. Because you don't have that promise, first of all. Secondly, this world is on a collision course with the judgment of God. Don't take my word for it. I want to take just a little time and read to you from other passages that demonstrate the truth of this, Jesus himself. And for those who would say, we don't want to talk about judgment or sin or any of this. We just want to talk about Christ and Jesus. I want you to understand you're missing what he himself said. Matthew chapter 25, he says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's verses 31 through 34. You skip down to verse 41, and he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4:16 and 17. And we could be up here for many hours just reading scriptures that teach of the collision course of this world and God's judgment none of us in our fallenness wants to hear the sound of the trumpet warning us of this danger that is ahead we would rather we would rather just live our lives here ignorant and oblivious to it or in denial of it if we know it's true But we will never prepare for a danger about which we remain ignorant. We'll never do it. I want to encourage you today to find the courage to face the danger you are in. I want to exhort you to face that danger and the fear that that danger brings. This encouragement, again, is for those unprepared for the day that we've read about that will be separated by Christ and placed on the left. I want to exhort you. I want to beg you. I want to hopefully say something that the Spirit of God can can use and, and reach down into your heart and your mind and awaken you to the danger that you are in, that that trumpet call might be so loud and so clear that you no longer deny that you've heard it and you take the courage to face it. And to confront it because it's there and it's real. So much of the time, you know what we're doing today, and this is dangerous soapbox territory. I'll try to be brief. We try to get rid of bullies. We try to get rid of stress. We try to get rid of anxieties and all of these things that just come along with life. And we've forgotten you need to be prepared for these things. You need to be able to confront the bully. There's always going to be bullies. You can't take people away from danger. You can only make them ready to face it and give them the strength to do so. I want to encourage you that there is hope yet. If you've heard the warning sound of God in your heart and you've heard that trumpet and it has caused fear in your heart and it has stopped you in your tracks and in your carnal mind and heart, you want nothing to do with it. You just want to go out into the world and you want to forget that you've heard it. I hope today that you don't do that and that you face it. That you hear it. And I want to give you courage to do that. And if you're saved, I want you to remember this is where we're going. This is where this world is going. This is the collision course of the world and time with the judgments of a mighty and a righteous God. changes everything about our lives. And even when we are saved, we can still try to put this at a distance from our life. I want us, I want you, as I read that verse and it just lodged into my heart this week for, for whatever reason that we would be, we would remember what it is that we're to be about when that sound of the warning call comes that we would not be unprepared, but that we would have the courage to go to God. Those who are prepared, I exhort to stay close to God and approach the world with trumpet in hand, ready to provide and to sound this call when the opportunity arises and you're speaking with someone and you get a sense that they don't have hope in Christ. And you see before yourself an eternal creature created in the image of God that is going to one day be on the right hand or the left hand of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you sound the call. You have the courage to do it. I read this quote, don't know who to attribute it to. I'm sure many have said it or very much the same thing. Courage results when one's convictions are bigger than one's fears. Courage results when one's convictions are bigger than one's fears. When we are convinced and convicted of the truth of God's word, the fears that we face to live this life before him fade. They don't disappear. Don't misunderstand. They, the enemy can cause us to be fearful of many things. Loss of health, loss of wealth, loss of family, loss of friends, loss of comfort, loss of ease, loss of our own dreams. That fear is real and it can be made to be real. But when the convictions of the truth of God's word are greater in our life and a larger reality than all of those things, the fear is there, but it is overcome. It's not courage to be absent of fear, by the way. It's not possible to be courageous apart from fear. So I want to encourage you, even now, return to me. This warning is coming. There's there's a day that is coming that is going to see God vindicated and the death of God's own Son displayed before all of creation and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and they're all going to stand before Jesus Christ and he's going to separate them like a shepherd separates the sheep some on the right and some on the left and according to other things Jesus said most on the left and a few on the right and there's a danger here and the warning call needs to go out and we need to be about giving it a clear call the entire purpose for the warning sound of the trumpet call again is to preserve life. It is to make people aware. It is not to take it. See, you think God's calling you and convicting you to take away your life. And what He's doing, He's calling you and convicting you to give it to you. Many think to follow God is to surrender my life, and it is. But Jesus said it this way, lose your life for my sake and you'll find it. You're listening to the wrong person. There's an enemy who's coming, and there is a day that is coming that God is going to judge that enemy eternally, once and for all. Many think that the preacher gets some sort of twisted satisfaction out of scaring people, and I'll admit, I think maybe some preachers do, and I think it's sad. There's no joy in scaring people. I don't want to scare you merely. I don't want you afraid only. That's not the gospel. The gospel does not leave people trembling and in fear. It leaves them at peace and with joy and a knowledge and a certainty that their eternity is secure. But many think that a preacher, that preaches like this these days, as we come across chapters like this and so many preachers avoid them altogether because they don't know what to do with them because it won't fill the seats and it won't fill the offering plate and it won't pay for their lifestyle. And they forget and they move beyond this. And then they think and they blame the others who will sound this call and say they're just mean-spirited. They just want us to feel bad. No, there's a, there's a day that is coming. You need to be warned about this day. I take no pleasure in making you simply afraid. That I've not accomplished my goal if you leave here today afraid. The goal is to leave here secure and protected by the almighty hand of God in the face of the danger. I want you to hear the sound of the warning. I do. But I want you to hear the sound of the warning, because through that warning you can find deliverance. You can find deliverance. This is the clear purpose of Joel as well. It wasn't just to scare the people. The, the, the watchman on the city didn't sound the trumpet just to scare them. It sounded the warning so they'd begin to prepare. Our time is growing short, and so we'll move quickly. How, how does one rightly respond to the warning call of the gospel? This, these first 11 verses upon which or or from which comes this 12th verse. Yet even now, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Yet, even now, return to me. It's late in the game. The end is near at hand. The enemy is there. You know whether the world continues for a thousand years or not. These were all so easily excitable, and it's it's kind of faded. But you remember the, the, the many books that were coming out, and your Left Behind series. And I don't want to throw darts at any of those. I, I don't. But we just get so so focused on Are we in the last days? And yes, yes is the answer. We're in the last days, not merely because we're trying to count down the days of the world. Whether the world continues for a thousand years or not, we are all living in the last days in the sense that we're living in our last days. It doesn't matter how much longer the world goes on. You're in your last days and I'm in mine. These are the last days. The time is short. It's late in the game. Many, many don't. Appreciate this the way that we need to in order to live a life that is sounding the call and responding to the warning call of the gospel and they don't heed this call to even now return to me but even though it's late in the game maybe somebody hears these words and they're at the end of their life they've lived a long life of rebellion against God but maybe even now God can reach out and call. The warning call can come to you and you can respond. Maybe you think you've got a long life in front of you and you don't and you just don't know it. It's late in your life, not early. Even now, even now, God invites you to return to Him. He is bringing judgment. He is. It's Him that's doing it. It's his army that is approaching, and I don't want to take time to go into all of that, but it's his army that's coming upon the city. It's not just some Sennacherib of the Assyrians or, or Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonians or Darius or Cyrus of Persia. No, this is God's army. It's God that you're confronting. It's God that's bringing this judgment. And yet now, even now, he calls to you to return with all of your heart. And of course, there it is. All of your heart. No one has ever come to God and found deliverance with half their heart or with most of their heart. God is God. He does not ask for a part of you. He didn't create a part of you. He created all of you. And he says, I want it all back. And I'm going to give you life more abundant than you could ever imagine because you will be in congruence with your creator. Turn to me. Return to me with all your heart. Return with fasting. Let go of the things of this world. You know, we think about fasting, and this is true. It is abstaining from food. But I think maybe we need to think a little bit about fasting of the just the prosperity of this world a little bit. Let go of it. Fast from the things of the world. Seek God and desire to find Him more than even the food that sustains your earthly body. Return to me with weeping, a brokenness, fitting a created being before its creator. A brokenness and a fear brought about by the recognition of the danger that they're in. So return to me with fasting, with your, with all your heart, and with weeping, and that word just, just means crying. It means fearfulness. It's, it's, it's to be afraid. But that's not all that he says. Return to me uh, with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. He said, "It's not a repeat. It's not the same word in the in the Hebrew." Mourning includes the idea of sorrow. Sorrow, not just fear. Sorrow. Do you see the difference? There's a difference. Returning to God includes having a heart broken and sorrowful over their own sin. And that's what this word means. The cry of repentance is a weeping, but it is a weeping brought about by the sorrow for our sin, a sorrow that understands the destruction of God's judgment is just and it is fair and it is right. Right of weeping over that truth. Repentance is not merely being afraid. It's not. It's part of it. That's not all of it. Repentance is weeping, yes, but it has mourning, a sorrowfulness that's in it. Anyone in his right mind would fear an eternity in hell separated from God. Anyone in the right mind would be afraid of that. But that's not all there is to repentance. It's a there's a mourning and a sorrow over the sin that makes that so. That that is the reason for the fear. But even now, God says, in this way, repent, return to me. Return with mourning, with weeping, with fasting, with all your heart. And he says, Call a solemn assembly. And I just love this verse in chapter in verse 15. This is this is a, a description, I believe, in verses 15 and 16 of a church service. It's hard to find them if, unless you're looking for them. But this one just jumped out at me. And I want you to imagine, then I want you to think about the, the, the typical, and this is easy to do, so maybe it's not fair to say it this way, but the typical church service today and what verses 15 and 16 say about what a church service ought to be. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Why? Because of the warning. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Call a solemn assembly. It is a solemn assembly brought together for a serious and eternal purpose. How much of what we see, at least in the mainstream, is just a bunch of entertainment and silly Just silly things. It's a solemn assembly. There's a warning call. There's a judgment that's coming. And blow the trumpet. Sound the alarm. A church service that fails to sound the alarm is at best a missed opportunity and at worst a deception of the worst kind. Must be sounding the alarm. The world needs to see a people who are so convinced that God that, of what God has said that they are serious about it. They don't talk around the message. They don't lighten the burden and say, hey, by the way, there's an enemy coming. There's a judgment day coming. Don't want you to be too worried about this. I don't want you to think about it too much. You know, we're having a good time here today. We're going to have a, a great, a fun day to get today. We're going to be entertained. But, you know, by the way, you know, God's coming. He's going to judge the world. And if you're not saved, you're going to be eternally lost. That's just not the attitude. This is what the world needs to see. They need to see a people so convinced of the truth of this that it flavors and it's over and in all the things that they do. They don't lighten the burden of that message. They don't laugh at the calamity of the unbeliever. They don't find joy in giving people temporary peace. Rather, they blow the trumpet, whether the people want to hear it or not whether they hear it or not. When churches begin to prioritize their numbers over their message, they step onto a slippery slope that will become more and more difficult to ever escape. But that's what many have done and many continue to do. He says to gather the people, the old, the young, the infants, the bride, the groom, the priest, everyone, no matter what else they might have to do, gather them Sound the warning. Why is any of this now, as we begin to work our way to a close, and we will close shortly, why why is this gospel that I'm preaching, how can we call it good news? It's good news because the truth is the truth, and the truth is this warning call, but God says, even now, return to me. And I just want to read you because the scriptures speak better for themselves than I ever could verse 18, and at least down through verse 27. Why is any of this called good news? How is a call to a solemn assembly to weep and to mourn a good thing? Because God will hear and answer in pity, mercy, and grace. Verse 18, then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you repro- a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rearguard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O oh land. Be glad and rejoice, For the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The, trees, the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I I'll leave the closing verses for you to read. My time, I've taken too much of it, but I want to just finish with these 25th, 26th, and 27th verses and these beautiful promises to the one who will even now return to the Lord, return to God. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. All that you've lost, I'm going to restore All of those years spent wandering from me. All of those years spent in rebellion. I'm going to restore them and I'm going to make it right. And you're going to have an eternity to follow me and to know what life is supposed to be about in heaven separated from this world that is on this collision course for my judgment. Once I have judged it, I'm going to restore all of those things that the years of this life have taken from you. Do you hear the promise in that? All that you've lost, God says, if you'll return to me, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to give it to you. And many besides. 26, you're going to eat in plenty and be satisfied. That is such a beautiful promise from God that we will be satisfied. Those who return to him, you're not satisfied now. And if you're not in the presence of God, and you'll disagree, many will anyway, so say, oh, I'm satisfied. No, you're not. You're going to continue to go from one thing to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other, on and on and on. And you're going to get to a place where it's going to all of a sudden be meaningless to you. And all the important things that you hold in your life, you're going to look at them and you go, what's the point? Solomon, that's what he was talking about in Ecclesiastes. But if you find God and you return to Him, even now, return to Him, you will be satisfied. You'll be content. In verse 27, you will know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am in your midst. I am with you. says the Lord. I am with you. If you'll just even now return to me. Even now, when the message is a warning and hope, excuse me, when the message is a warning and hope seems too far away, even now repent. When you stand rightly condemned for your sin, even now, even then, return to the Lord. When you are in the busy time of life with important things happening, even then, return to the Lord. That scripture, let the bridegroom leave his chamber and the bride as well. There's more important things. No matter what's going on in your life, in those busy times, return to me. In the midst of the solemn congregation, as the warning call goes out, even then, return to the Lord. Whether you're old or you're young, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're a priest, whether you're not, return to the Lord. Heed the call to repentance and believe in Christ, through whom you have hope, because He bled and died on Calvary's cross to pay the price you never could pay because of your sin and because of all the world's sin. Find forgiveness from God through Christ. Gain the benefits of God's favor, His blessing, His love, and His provision. Walk in the liberty of God's forgiveness rather than in the fear of His judgment. That's what the warning Paul is for. Turn to God. Even now with your whole heart. He'll meet you. He will respond. He will do what He says He will do. Pray the Lord bless his word this morning. Let's have some.